0: Hey everyone, before we start this episode of Valley 101, I want to let you know about a correction. About halfway through this episode, you'll hear from a flight attendant who worked at Phoenix Sky Harbor in the late 70s. She originally thought she worked in Terminal 1. After this episode published, she told us she realized she worked in Terminal 2. We've confirmed that and removed all inaccuracies, but in this version we kept some of her great stories about what Sky Harbor in general was like back then. Alright, now let's get to the show. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Today we're looking at Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, my favorite place to get a 10 a.m. beer. Specifically, we're looking at Terminal 1, or the lack thereof. Maybe you've realized, maybe you haven't, but Phoenix Sky Harbor doesn't actually have a Terminal 1. That peculiarity led to a question we received from a Tempe listener, Mark Siebenbrot. Well, I've lived in the Valley for about eight years now, and I have gone to Terminal 3, Terminal 4, the occasional pickup at Terminal 2, and it just dawned on me, like, where where is Terminal 1? (laughs) It just seems to be this terminal that just doesn't exist anywhere. So one of our producers went out to find an answer. Why doesn't Sky Harbor have a Terminal 1?
1: Hi, Are you Taylor? yeah, I'm Taylor. Are you Gary? I'm Gary. Nice, nice to meet you. Oh,
2: it's freezing
1: out. It is really, really cold. My name is Taylor Seely, and right now you're listening to two Arizonans being total wimps in 60 degree weather. But to be fair, it was windy and it was beginning to sprinkle.
2: You want to do this somewhere out? Where were you? What were you thinking? So, I, I this the only reason I suggested this. This is actually the site of the first terminal. Yeah. This is where it all began.
1: I'm talking to Gary Martelli right now, the manager and curator for the Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. We're standing around some warehouses near 24th Street in Van Buren on the grounds of the original Sky Harbor Airport. Now, we're not at Terminal 1, to clarify. We're actually at the airport's first terminal, referred to today by the insiders as the North Terminal. And you can't really tell that it used to be the airport because it's just a parking lot now. But just south of us is an old, worn-down building can we go in that, that can? Gary tells me used to be I a restaurant where pilots Less- often ate.
2: It used to be called the Left Seat Restaurant, which is kind of a aviation term. It's like the...
1: Just east of us was a really cool building, too.
2: There's a hangar right there, and we believe that was like one of the original hangars from the 1920s that I was told was used to be further in another direction, but it got moved a little bit, and it still exists, which is kind of interesting.
1: But it was closed. Okay, it's raining, so I'll get in the car, I'll follow you. I ended up following Gary back in my car to his office, where we began the interview.
2: So this is our, the... um, Airport Museum.
1: I asked him to tell me about the beginning of the airport, when the city of Phoenix first purchased Sky Harbor in 1935. He said the city didn't really even know if they wanted to buy it.
2: The city was reticent on actually purchasing it because they had owned an airport before that was not a good venture.
1: It came down to good old-fashioned snail mail.
2: They were urged by the citizens to purchase the airport because commercial flight is tied to airmail. And so people wanted to be able to correspond with their family and other people around the country. And if we didn't have an airport that was maintained, city-owned like that, then we would have lost the airmail route and kind of the direct flight service in and out of Phoenix. And so in 1935, the city of Phoenix did purchase Sky Harbor.
1: Okay, so let's play catch-up real quick. The airport existed even before the city of Phoenix bought it. It was owned and operated by a private company that used it for sightseeing aviation tours and also as a place to train future pilots. That's what Gary told me. And really, the city of Phoenix wanted to keep it that way. But, as we heard, citizens wanted airmail. So that's ultimately why it was purchased and became Phoenix Sky Harbor in 1935. Okay, so that's where we're at. But then, pretty quickly, the airport just takes off. About a decade later, in 1948, the Civil Aeronautics Administration had declared Phoenix Sky Harbor the busiest airport in the country. People described it as practically busting at the seams. So much so that in 1952, they had to build a new terminal to accommodate all of the people flying in and out of town. This new building is Terminal 1. And at the time, it's seen as one of the most modern and efficient terminals. But it was small. It was maybe a story and a half tall, and it had blonde brick. About 50 flights would arrive or take off each day, compared to 1,200 at the airport today. But Terminal 1 had something no terminals have today.
2: You could go into the terminal and there was an observation deck um, on the rooftop. And so people would go, just come to the airport just to watch planes come and go.
1: Terminal 1 had a rooftop deck where families could go and watch the planes come in and take off. Gary said he found an archived photo of when Marilyn Monroe came into town and there were just hundreds of people lining the deck to watch. And there were no glass windows to keep them shielded, by the way. It was just a very casual open rooftop for spectating. But I wanted to know more about this deck, so I met up with a former flight attendant. Could you tell me about that? Yes, there was a deck. There was a deck. And I used
3: to think, oh my gosh, these people are going to go deaf.
1: That's Cindy Kishiyama Harbottle. And I mean, when those airplanes turn, (laughs) those engines start
3: blasting up. I mean, you get a blast of kerosene, you get a blast of usually really, really hot air, and you're almost like falling over because it's so big. But they used to watch everybody and wave and wave. I remember it was
1: so cute. When I first started researching Terminal 1, I wanted to find someone who had been there in its heyday. I found Cindy, who was a flight attendant and she worked for Hughes Air West which operated out of Terminal 2 actually but she had been to Terminal 1 and she had some great memories of what the airport and flying were like in the late 70s.
3: It was wonderful to watch these people go up there. And it was fun to go up yourself, you know. I can remember going up and, and watching and thinking, oh, this is so cool.
1: Cindy even said people on the planes and on the deck had a really fun way of communicating to each other. And people, you could see people, they, they would try and wave, but if they would take their, um,
3: their little window shades up and down, you knew that they saw you. That was like their wave.
1: It was really cute. I loved that cindy and i spoke at a park near her house in scottsdale for two hours about the airport and while gary from the airport museum told me it was a pretty small terminal i could tell that it was full of life for example gary sent me a photo of one of the cocktail lounges in terminal one the funny thing is it's actually really stylish by today's standards It's got this mid-century modern vibe. There's a cherry wood-colored bar lined with this blue vinyl padding, and next to it there are matching blue bar stools and lounge chairs. There are large mirrors lining the back of the bar behind the alcohol, and the wall adjacent to the bar is covered in this sort of retro space-age mural that I later found out was actually called Time and Space. It's filled with shades of navy blue, pale yellow and orange, and this pinky red similar to the color of hot coils on a stovetop. Probably the only thing that would need updating is the flowery carpet patterns, but the carpet at most airports even today is still pretty ugly. But what else stood out to me besides this surprisingly modern cocktail lounge was what Cindy told me about flight attendant uniform standards back then.
3: I remember for a while there, it was just, it, there was no carpeting. So you could hear click, clack, click, clack, because that was your, your heels. <laughs> you had to wear heels.
1: Heels were just one tiny part of Cindy's uniform. The rest of it? Well, how do I put this? Cindy showed me a photo, and it was highlighter yellow. I am not kidding. In fact, this was something Hughes Air West was known for. Yes, 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 yes. We are top it's bright yellow airplanes and flight attendants. They were called the Top Bananas. And if you ever get a chance, YouTube the Hughes Air West commercial. It is quite the production. Cindy even showed me her yellow go go boots all the women looked like Barbie dolls with their tight-fitting tops and mini skirts. But that was sort of the point. In fact, most of the flight attendants all looked relatively similar. And that's because there were actually weight limits and height requirements to be a flight attendant. You had to wear your hair a certain way and have pristine makeup.
3: There were girls who used to, I mean, before a flight would take x just so that they would make it through because, I mean, they would weigh you, you know, with your clothes on and you had to weigh a certain weight.
1: Essentially, as a flight attendant, you were an extension of the airline's brand. But even as crazy or as degrading as this may seem today, Cindy said working at Sky Harbor back then led to some of her most treasured memories, many of which keep her laughing even today like the time she was asked to fetch prop wash, cleaner for the airplane propellers.
3: When, when I first started, I remember um, going down, they said, Cindy, you need to go down and get uh, some prop wash for the props on the F-27, uh, the Fairchild 20, you know, and I was like, Uh, prop wash they said yeah can you go and ask one of the uh, mechanics and by this time I I, you know I I didn't know where to go and what a mechanic was really you know but after a while you get to know all even the mechanics and it was wonderful but anyway I, I go down there and I said to one of the mechanics I think he was a mechanic I said I need prop wash or we can't leave and he said what and I go prop wash he goes prop Oh, 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 prop wash. Oh, you need prop, okay. um, You know, uh, why don't you go in that room and take a right, and there should be a guy at a desk. Ask him for some. I think he's got the prop wash. So I go in and I say, excuse me, sir, I need prop wash for the F-27 because we can't leave without it. And he goes, sweetie. I'm going to tell you right now, those pilots are, are, are giving you a hard time because they're, they're playing a joke on you, and there's no such thing as prop wash. So you go back, and you just tell them, we're out of prop wash. <laughs> and I went back, and I said, they're out.
1: <laughs> and the pilots just started laughing. <laughs> he goes,
3: you know there's no such thing. I said, yeah, I found out.
1: <laughs> Cindy said there were never any hard feelings, though. It was just an initiation of sorts into this small, close-knit family at Phoenix Sky Harbor. After a while, you got to know all those people, and it was
3: just, it was so funny because I remember one guy even saying to me, did you ever get asked for prop wash? I said, oh yeah.
1: (laughs) The other popular hazing trick was for pilots to ask flight attendants to capture what they called quality air control. So essentially, they'd have a woman open a trash bag, bag the air, if you can picture it, draw the strings tight into a knot, and then hand it to another employee once they landed. Of course, that employee had no clue what it was, and the new flight attendant was sufficiently humiliated. But, all in good fun, Cindy said. By the sounds of it, everything about Sky Harbor back then, in her recollection, revolved around this idea of family
3: even the passengers became part of our family because of the smallness and the roundness of the rotunda because a lot of times we wouldn't even stay downstairs or on the airplane we'd come out and talk to people it it was a real friendly time where people would come up to you and say do you like being a stewardess and i said well call flight attendants, but yeah, I really like it. It's really a lot of fun. It was a special thing to go on an airplane. It was to take an you know, airplane somewhere that people used to take their cars and they didn't used to travel as much as they do now. And so um, the the traveling the air traveling public was of a different sort, I guess. You would find businessmen and you would find people who were going, who had saved for a while to go on a trip. And they were so excited to go, and it was so fun to give these kids. I mean, even in the terminal in, in the rotunda, we would ask the agents, and they used to have these in in their um, little drawers, as they used to have those little plastic wings. And we used to go around, and some of the pilots would too, is give kids wings and say, you know, how, how many times have you flown? And a lot of times it was their first flight. And so they'd say, well, here's your wings, you know, to keep you safe, and and you know, hopefully you'll become a pilot or a flight attendant someday, and because it's. Lots of fun to travel, you know, and it
1: was just, it was just wonderfully nice, I guess. It was sweet. It was pretty clear in talking to Cindy just how great of an impact Phoenix Sky Harbor had on her life. But she did eventually leave Arizona. Hughes Air West was bought out, and she was transferred to Detroit around the early 80s. By 1991, Phoenix Sky Harbor had expanded to include Terminals 2, 3, and 4. Eventually, there wasn't really a need for Terminal 1 anymore. It was small and most of the flights were taking off from the new Terminal 4. Renovations were going to be too expensive and the airport just didn't think it was worth it. So Terminal 1 was demolished in 1991. So what exists now in its place?
2: Um, It's kind of a a staging parking area. You can still kind of see the pattern of, of where the terminal was and kind of there was this kind of circular Um, area that kind of where people parked and then walked into the terminal and so it's just the original site is just west of today's Terminal 2 and uh, the building's gone Um, it's kind of an area more like I said for staging
1: why didn't they just rename the other terminals
2: you know that's a tough one Um, I think it they were afraid it would cause confusion because the terminals were tied to like specific airlines as well And I think a lot of it, uh, from what I understand, would be it would just be it would be a huge marketing issue to try and change all the the names of the terminals um, to renumber them.
1: So that's what it comes down to. The airport is constantly outgrowing itself and they really just didn't want to deal with the hassle of renaming the other terminals. So to you, Terminal One, I say rest in peace.
3: kind of brings a tear to my eye. (laughs) Like, oh man, fun times back in the day.
0: Hey, it's me, Kayla again. Taylor, I know when we got this question, you pounced on it right away, and I want you to tell people why.
1: You know, it was just sort of funny to me. I have lived in Arizona for my whole life. My aunt was a flight attendant, my mom worked for Southwest Airlines, and not to mention, my husband has traveled for a living for the past five years, and throughout those five years, I have picked him up and dropped him off. So many times, I can't even count. And I literally never realized there is no Terminal 1. Like, I don't know how this fact escaped me, but I just, I don't know, I just did not know. So the question when we got it blew my mind and I had to answer it.
0: Yeah, I've never seen someone so excited about an airport terminal, but I really appreciated that. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We're loving the questions you're asking us so far. We've noticed a lot about transit and governance, but we know there's more out there. Do you have questions about cool foodie spots or sports or counterculture, maybe that weird thing in your neighborhood? We want to hear it all. Tell us at valley101podcast.azcentral.com or you can tweet or DM us on Twitter at Valley101pod.